How's it going? This is Scott Fish. I co-host a podcast called the Commission Impossible Podcast with Ryan McDowell. We don't exactly go over player values or dynasty trades or potential or rankings or mock drafts, and we usually don't even have guests. We just like to talk about commissioner stuff, so that's what you get. You can learn about lots of different scoring systems, uh, interesting rules, settings, how to set up your playoffs, how to determine draft order, how to determine rookie auction values, things like that. Stuff that commissioners might be interested in, like rivalries or rolling bank rolls or salary caps. We also answer commissioner questions. So if you're interested in that kind of thing, check us out. It's a pretty good listen. listening to the DLF Dynasty Podcast, where there is no off-season. Welcome to another episode of the DLF Dynasty Podcast. I am Dan Myler. Matt and Ryan are on sabbatical this week, so we called in reinforcements. The legendary Jeff Miller is with us once again to talk a little salary cap. It's our annual episode, Talking Cap. And uh, digging deep into everything we like to talk about when we chat on Voxer and in other places. Jeff, how you doing? You ready to ready to do this thing? I'm really good. I forgot to do something before the podcast started. Just give me a second here. I got it. Okay. There. Okay. I got my pants off. Now I'm ready. <laughs> in true Jeff Miller fashion, uh, we're off to a rocking start. We've done a few of these, Jeff. For those of you that have not listened in the past, uh, we, we've done three other salary cap episodes on the DLF Dynasty pod back on, well, it was a couple years ago already, probably three years ago, right, Jeff, that you were the host of this very podcast and invited me to join you and talk about general salary cap strategy. Uh, Then a couple years ago, we got together and talked about startup strategy. And then last year, we we talked about rookie draft and in-season salary cap management. For those of you that haven't listened to those episodes, they're episodes number 201, 243, and 261 if you want to check those out. This time, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about off-season salary cap moves for those salary cap owners out there. But before we get to all that stuff, Jeff, I got to know from you, uh, a lot of our our listeners have heard those three episodes that we we just covered. Um, Has anything really changed for you in your general philosophy towards salary cap leagues since we we last had a chance to chat about this stuff? I mean, not really. Like Things shift a little bit here and there in given leagues, but I think that's based more on the direction of the league than it is in my in my own sort of personal strategy. I mean, of course, you evolve and get better and pick up little things here and there. But overall, my same basic strategy is is more or less the same. So, like, the stuff that we talked about back on, uh, on 201, I think that that's still... Um, I guess I haven't come back and listened to it, but uh, I think that's probably still as relevant now as it was then, and I don't think that there's been any real drastic changes for me. How about you? Uh, not drastic. I think I've become even more aggressive than than I was over the last few years. I I treat leagues even more like their redraft than than dynasty. I think that has been a 
been a focus of mine uh, looking at one-year and, and two-year windows rather than three- and four-year windows in these cap leagues. Um, but but like you said, mostly that, that stuff that we talked about the first time we got together to chat about this stuff stays stays true. We're still, we're still doing a lot of the same thing. So let's dig right into these off-season moves, off-season transactions that – salary cap owners can be making. The first topic I wanted to to talk about uh, on this episode is retaining players. Now, lots of leagues call it re-signing players. Others call it franchise tagging or transition tagging players. Um, There are so many different rules out there, Jeff, that we're not going to be able to cover everything here. But generally, are there any tips or tricks that you like to use when you're trying to tag players or or uh, or re-sign players, whatever it may be. Any any way of retaining a player? Is there anything that that you stay steadfast to in that light? It's it's just really about what the. I mean, obviously, different leagues have different rules for re-signing and the amounts, and it just essentially comes down to how much you can re-sign them for versus what you could sign them for if you let them get back to the free agency pool and uh and re-sign them that way so sometimes you know if you have like let's say that you have uh odell beckham and he to re-sign him would cost you like the average salary of the top three paid receivers of the position and so so in that spot like if you like odell beckham jr and you really want him on your team and you have cap space there's no real reason not to sign him because if he hits free agency guess what he's going to have a top three salary. The question becomes more if you have a player that's maybe a tier below that and franchising him would cost what Odell Beckham Jr. would. There's still situations where you might want to re-sign that player. Um, you know, maybe there's a lot of cap space open in the league or maybe wide receiver is real thin. So just like everything else, and and, and this is kind of a, a lead into things we're going to talk about later, to me it really just comes down to how much is he going to cost to re-sign right now as a franchise or whatever you want to call it, a transition player, versus how much is he going to cost to resign if he heads back to the free agent pool and you have to bid against everybody else to get him back. That's that's my main consideration, in addition to things like my current roster makeup and what my goal is for the season and other obvious stuff. Yeah, all that stuff factors in for sure, and we're going to get into that uh, as we move along here. But I, I think for me it comes down to one question uh, that you can answer yourself. And, and that is, is retaining that player for the cost that it will take to, to retain him equal to the market value? And if it is, it's it's pretty easy to say yes to that question. And, and it's pretty easy to, to retain Odell Beckham Jr. Now, if he doesn't fit into your budget the, the, and, and things like that, uh, if you don't have the cap space, obviously that, that changes things. But if you can fit a especially elite player into your cap and get him on your roster, retain his rights, that gives you that flexibility, that, that key word that we've talked about so many times, Jeff, the flexibility to move that player to another team, trade him and get something back for essentially nothing. Because if, you know, typically in these leagues, if you don't re-sign the player, don't tag the player, he just goes into the auction and you're not getting any kind of compensation back. I regularly tag or re-sign players with the intent of moving that player maybe the day after I get the tag in uh, because if, if he's worth that amount of money to somebody out there, I want to get something back. 
for that player. So let's talk about those factors, what goes into deciding whether to tag a player or not. There are the obvious factors that you mentioned there, Jeff, uh, what their salary is, the length of the contract, if there's any uh, rules that, that might keep you from getting him in a long-term deal, if it if it uh, forces you to, to just give the player a one-year contract, that factors in. Are there some not-so-obvious factors that you like to keep in mind when making those decisions? Yeah, a big one is, and you have a note of it here, is just to create a full list of, of everybody that's going to be a free agent. Um you know, like let's we can go back to the example of I guess Odo Beckham's not a great example. How about um, I'm trying to think of like a, a how about like a maybe a Keenan Allen, somebody that's kind of like a mid tier wide receiver one, where maybe you don't want to pay him as much as you would have to pay Julio Jones or Odo Beckham or Antonio Brown, which in in the leagues that I'm in is what the franchise tag generally would cost is is something more like the a very high end salary. So you look at, at Keenan Allen, it's like, man, I really don't want to lose him, but you know, it's going to cost me maybe 3 or 4 or $5 more if I franchise him. So if you go through and you make a list of all the free agents coming up uh, in, this, in this free agent auction that you have coming, and you see, holy cow, there's like four wide receiver ones, and there's like five wide receiver twos, and there's all of these players on there, well, then maybe you can cut Keenan Allen loose, and you can re-sign him or a player similar to him without having to pay a salary on the level of like an Odell Beckham. Conversely, if you make that list and Keenan Allen is like the only top 15 receiver that might get thrown back into that, into that free agent auction. Well, you, you, you can look at that and then say, okay, well maybe it's worth a few extra bucks to ensure that I have him back in my roster, creating a free agent list. And this is again, something we're going to, I think is going to come up quite a bit tonight. Um, is huge. It's huge in being able to decide how to handle an auction and who to cut and who to retain. Yeah, I, I think that goes hand in hand a little bit with knowing your league's history and knowing how the guys or, or the other owners in your league tend to bid and how out of hand they can get if they chase a specific team, if a specific position goes for way more. And usually that is is clear with the amount that you have to pay for that franchise tag or, or to re-sign that player. But it, it's good to have those notes and, and have that information in front of you. I actually have a real-world scenario that fits into the description you're talking about there, Jeff. Uh, in one of my leagues, and, and we haven't declared franchise players or, or re-signed players just yet, that, that day is coming up soon, I have Jarek McKinnon on an expired contract where I would have to franchise tag him and pay him as one of the, for sure, top three running backs at the position. It's really an interesting situation to be in because of, of, of everything that we all know about Jarek McKinnon, his changing teams and the big contract, uh, the high hopes that, that San Francisco fans as well as dynasty owners everywhere have for McKinnon landing in San Francisco. That all factors in, uh, but when you weigh that against the salary that would have to be paid for, for the player um, and the fact that McKinnon is easily the the best running back in free agency this year, if, if I were to let him go, it makes it for a really difficult decision. I haven't necessarily made that decision just yet. I've, I've tried to play with my cap a little bit and make room for him, but I'm, I'm really considering tagging the player, like I talked about earlier, and, and then trying to move McKinnon just because I know there are a lot of owners in my league that have made that list of 
potential free agents already and highlighted Jarek McKinnon's name as a guy that they're going to be th- chasing once that free agent auction starts. So those decisions are are tough to make a lot of times. But like you said, creating that list and 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 like I mentioned, knowing that your league's history helps make make those decisions for sure. A few other things that factor in for me when when trying to decide whether to tag a player um, is is looking at those other other teams that have players that could be tagged or re-signed and trying to make educated guesses on those players. A lot of times you might think, oh boy, there's there's a lot of really good names. Um, so like you mentioned early, earlier, I let Keenan Allen go, but Julio Jones and A.J. Green and Devontae Adams all should be coming up as well. If they all tag that, those players, all of a sudden Keenan Allen is the big name, the big fish that's out there, and he goes for way more than you expected. So so making those guesses uh, and, and trying to be as accurate as you can on those is an important uh, thing to, to keep in mind as well. I, I also like to keep track of how much cap space is available in the entire league. I think we've talked about that on other episodes as well. If you know how much money there is to spend, you should be able to uh, trickle down through the, that free agent list and, 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 and factor in and, and place those figures next to those free agents and, and really get a good gauge of what you expect these players to go for. That should help you make decisions on these free agents as well. And then predicting those salaries as they go through, um, like I just said, if, if, if you can predict those or at least come close, you should know by the end of, of making that list and, and putting those salaries next to the names, you should know if, if the player that you're considering making that franchise player is really worth the money. Yeah, I got one more thing, but I want to tag something on uh, when you're talking about about announcing tags and predicting what other owners, who they were going to tag and who they would retain. If in the leagues that we're in together, especially, I know that like you just post your tags right on the forum for everybody to see. Man, I like being the last guy. If there's any sort of a difficult decision that I have, just be the last guy 10 minutes before the deadline to post your tags. The more information you have, the better you can make decisions about your team. Now, there isn't always a real difficult decision that you have to make that might be impacted by who other people are tagging and all that. But if you're in a tough spot, like it sounds like you are with McKinnon, if those tags are announced in the public forum, then just get all your information. See who's going to be tagged and who's not before before you have to like lock your decision in um that's a handy thing you do with keeper leagues too if people are announcing keepers just hang on till the end little little tip there all right the other thing i wanted to touch on is uh uh another thing that i really like to do that i've done the last couple of years in leagues so maybe there is something that's changed in my strategy is i like to go through all the rosters on all the teams and i like to make a list for every team on what their team needs are and I'll get as specific as saying they need a QB1. And I don't mean like a top 12 QB. I mean like the QB1 for their team, basically a starter. And I'll say they need an RB1 and an RB2, meaning they need two different starters. And I'll do that for all of the positions, for all of the teams in the league. And then when I'm done, I'll aggregate that in one big list. And I'll say, okay, it would appear that eight teams need a starting quarterback. And there are 15 holes for running back. And then I can compare that to the free agent list and say, well, if 18 eight teams need a quarterback and there's 15 solid quarterbacks available, 
I can, when I make my budget, budget far less for that quarterback. Or if I have a quarterback that I'm considering tagging, well, maybe I don't need to tag him because there's more quarterbacks than there are needs. So that's something I've really taken to doing over the last several years. And, of course, you're trying to put yourself in the mindset of other owners and, you know, what do they think they need. I've definitely done this. Uh, It happened two years ago in the Top Dollar League where I made a prediction for a team and he ended up signing like 38 running backs and, of course, threw everything off. Um, so this isn't ironclad. It's just one more one more piece of information that you can use to to try to predict things a little bit better. I mean, information is power, man. The more you have, the the better able you are to predict how how things are going to go down. Yeah, and you can make better decisions. I think everything you said there, Jeff, and everything we've said to this point points to preparation, and, and we've pounded that gavel so many times that I think most of our salary cap owners out there are, are putting the prep in, putting the time in, and that's what it comes down to, especially when you're thinking about retaining these players. It, it is a guessing game, and you can miss, but if you put enough time in and, and try, to, try to think of all these factors in advance, you have a better chance of making a good decision, one that'll help your team. Uh, let's move on to, to trading in the offseason, Jeff. Um, in my opinion, there are two ty- types of offseason trades. There are the pre-free agent auction trades, and then there are the mid-free agent to post-free agent auction trades. So let's focus in on those pre-free agent auction trades. And for those of you that, that aren't quite sure what I'm talking about here, um, after those those player retention decisions have been made. Typically there's a, there's a little bit of time there where owners have a lot of cap space. They have room on their roster. They have holes to fill before that free agent auction where, when that list has already been made and been finalized where owners are trying to add these pieces that are currently under contract off another team. Those are the guys we're talking about right now. And, and, these pre-free agent auction trades are a lot easier to make, Jeff, um, because like I said, almost every team has some cap space and, and most of the teams have needs at all positions. What are some of the tips you can give our listeners on what you like to do before free agency opens to improve your roster? We're going to we're gonna differ a little bit here. I'm not a big pre, pre-auction trader. That was, for some reason, difficult to say. Um there's a couple of reasons for that. First of all, uh, I get pretty lazy until about a week before free agent auctions in salary cap leagues in the interest of full disclosure. Uh, usually by the end of the season, I'm so exhausted from football that I just need like a bunch of time off and then I do a bunch of draft stuff. And then, uh, then it's like, oh, free agent auction is tomorrow. I should probably get all my prep done, and I spent 12 hours prepping for it. Uh, so that's one of the reasons that's I don't what, do. That's when I hear from you on Voxer. For sure. Yeah. And so so I'm real bad at, at pre, pre-auction trading. The other thing for me is I've been burned a few times in leagues by say, by going into an auction with a strategy of, you know, my strategy is always to come out with a winner. Uh, you know, obviously not trying to rebuild a whole lot in salary cap leagues, which is something we've talked about in previous podcast episodes. Um, but th- the worst is when you make a trade and then you come out of an auction and the trade that you made doesn't fit your roster. And I've only had that happen once that I can really think of. And so maybe I've overreacted a little bit and been a little bit more cautious about making those trades. I'll be honest, it mostly comes down to laziness in terms of the way I, I mess with salary cap stuff in the summer. I really don't get super active until real close to before the auction. 
and uh, and I just don't make a lot of trades. So <laughs> I, I think timing matters a lot when it comes to to pre free agent auction trades. Um, some of these free agent auctions in in salary cap leagues happen before or during NFL free agency. So that makes a lot of owners weary of making those moves because suddenly Des Bryant gets released and you just traded for Des Bryant and that that really messes with your plans. Um, how it how the timing of that that trade or that window to trade uh, works into the NFL draft also factors in as well. So I think there are a lot of dynasty owners or salary cap owners that are timid when it comes to pre-free agent auction trades. I'm a little bit more aggressive than you are. Maybe I'm just a shade less lazy than you, I guess, <laughs> Jeff. Uh, I'm checking out those rosters, and I'm more of the type that likes to deal away uh, contracts. I'm, I'm looking more at contracts than necessarily players trying to trying to send away that four dollar player in a 150 cap that might free up the just enough space that I can chase a, a a little better wide receiver to fill that wide receiver two need that I have in in that free agent auction. So I'm I'm typically not looking to make big moves before that free agent auction. I'm I'm usually looking to to make those subtle moves to cre- either create cap space. Or, or create a, a opportunity later on, whether it be in free agency or the, or the draft, for myself that, that wouldn't exist if I wouldn't make those subtle moves. I think maybe I'm just better at giving out contracts than you are, so I don't feel the need to trade away by bad contracts pre-free agent draft. Well, we're in a few leagues together, and I would say that that's definitely true, for <laughs> sure. No doubt about it. I was going to ask you what kind of players agree. you're targeting on these types of types of teams, Jeff. But since you don't do a lot of those those deals before <laughs> that free agent uh, window opens, I'm going to talk a little bit about how your thoughts may change, whether you're a contender or on a rebuild. And, and like you said, I, I try not to rebuild at all when it comes to salary cap leagues because the window is so small, it feels like you're just constantly building and never never really rebuilding. I, I, I really feel like on a contender, Jeff, that just like what I said before, making those subtle moves to create cap space, that's, that's the all-powerful factor that that comes into play when you're in these cap leagues is is you have to factor in that cap and and especially in tight cap leagues hundred dollar caps 150 dollar caps uh some even less than that a dollar can go a long ways and and if you have a guaranteed buck or a guaranteed two bucks that you could move away from to create space that is going to be vital in a day or a month or or six months later those those are the types of moves you should be doing on on the rebuild. On the other t- other hand, Jeff, you and I have talked about this a little in the past. There are times when you are rebuilding, and there are those savvy salary cap moves that you could make to to create opportunities for yourself in the future. For instance, taking on bad contracts. We've talked about that in depth on past episodes. Uh, it, it's coming handy for those teams that are rebuilding and, and looking towards the future. Ideally, you're doing that in season. Like when when I'm, I said this to somebody the other day. Um, we we're actually talking about salary cap stuff. When I do a rebuild in a salary cap league, my preference is to have it last about two months. And what I mean by that is, I make the decision in late October that my team's not very good, and I'm like, well, I'm going to spend November and December rebuilding, so that by the time we roll around to the free agent auction that summer, I'm ready to go for the next season again. And so, you sh- hopefully, you've you've been proactive 
and you've done stuff like that beforehand. But yeah, for sure. And so the, the, the trades that I have made in these these scenarios, uh, in, in all seriousness, have definitely been salary cap-related trades, not player-related trades. So I'm either trying to dump a contract or take on a contract or however it is that I'm trying to work it. Um, if I am in a position where I'm rebuilding in the summer, yeah, for sure, you should be looking to take on bad contracts and in return... Um, like say, hey, I'll take uh, somebody that has Des Bryant for 15% of their salary cap and he doesn't have a team. Hey, if you send me your 104, I'll take Des Bryant off your hands for you. You know, that's the kind of stuff you should be looking looking to do. And my feeling is that if you're a rebuilding team, you should be more active in the summer than if you're a contending team. Because uh, the odds of you making some sort of a big trade that immensely bolsters your opportunity to win a league... Uh, before the free agent auction starts are far far lower than than your opportunity to to really contribute to your rebuild by taking on a few bad contracts right and and what you said there like owners like yourself and many salary cap owners are this way that really dig in deep in the week or even the days leading up to the auction those those are your opportunities if you're truly going to pull off or, or try to pull off one of these year-long rebuilds everybody's digging in everybody's looking at their roster and seeing that 15 percent number next to des bryant and panicking and thinking to themselves man keenan allen's out there if i had those 15 dollars I could chase him and, and chase that title. Savvy owners are, are the ones taking on that contract, asking for a future first to take it on, and and capitalizing in the future. I think the best rebuilds in salary cap leagues are, are not the ones that only take a couple of months that you're talking about, Jeff. I think they're the ones that look ahead and, and try to plan those things out, do it a year in advance. Um, it, it, it may sound like a negative comment or, or something that many dynasty owners don't like to talk about, but really planning to be bad for an entire year, earning a high draft pick in a salary cap league and creating a whole bunch of space for a year out when there's going to be, especially if you can plan for a year when you expect a lot of free agent talent and maybe uh, a lot of, of, your fellow owners having a lot of their cap space being used, if you're able to time those things out right and it all comes together at the right moment, those are the best rebuilds because you can go from from one of the worst team or the worst team in the league to quickly become an ultimate contender in that league by making those decisions. This is for sure what I did in Dead Presidents, you know, not to get about specific leagues that the listeners don't know anything about. But it's how I ended up with Mixon, Fournette, Corey Davis, and uh, <clears throat> Mike Williams in that league last year in the in the draft. And now I'm really well positioned to make a huge run at the title this season. I, I made the decision to take the year off, essentially, which is so painful and I hate doing it. But being able to recognize when it's time to do that is obviously is obviously a, a pretty key thing to, to having continued success over the long haul. Yes, all good stuff. So we have talked about retaining players and the pre-free agent auction trades. We're going to get to those post-free agent auction trades, but not until we hear this from our sponsor. Hey there, this is Tom Kislingberry of the Read and React podcast. Have you ever wished that you could be an NFL general manager? Well, now you can, thanks to Reality Sports Online a powerful fantasy sports platform where owners get to build and manage their fantasy team just like an NFL general manager. Reality Sports Online was created by former NFL front office personnel and it features a revolutionary free agency auction room 
which mimics NFL free agency, enabling fancy owners to negotiate and sign the NFL's top talent to single or multi-year contracts. The platform can host up to 32 teams, and it's got tons of other really cool features in addition to free agency, like a rookie draft, multi-team trades, franchise tags, contract extensions, first-round rookie options, automated contract and salary cut functionality, and much, much more. So, test your general manager skills for free at realitysportsonline.com in a mock free agency auction. If you like what you see, use the promo code DLF10 and receive a 10% discount of your team or league today. Fantasy just got real at realitysportsonline.com. Welcome back to the DLF Dynasty Podcast. I am Dan. With me this week is fellow salary cap junkie Jeff Miller. We've talked a little bit about some of those off-season uh, franchise owner decisions that we all have to make in these salary cap leagues. We're going to move on to that free agent auction before we get to those post-free agent auction trades that we talked about before the break. Jeff, uh, there's so much to cover when it comes to preparing for a free agent auction. I think the preparation that we talked about a little bit earlier is probably the key factor when trying to pull off a successful auction and, and build that strategy, build that plan for adding to your team. What works for you when preparing for those free agent auctions each offseason? So all the stuff that we've talked about, the creating a list of free agents, the looking at team needs for for the rest of the league and all of that stuff. And then, of course, the biggest one is just creating a budget, which is such an easy thing to not do or to, to act like it's not important or whatever. you got to create a budget, have to create a budget, um, and, and you ha- it has to have some level of flexibility built in. And it's like whenever I do, whenever I help somebody like one-on-one, like the first question is, well, how much money should I leave in my budget? And the answer is, I don't know. It depends on your league. It depends on your goals. It depends on everything else. I like to leave uh, maybe 5% of the salary cap. So in a $100 league, I like to leave $5 open. Um, but I'm not afraid to eat into that, and I'm not afraid to add that based on, on how the auction goes. So... Uh, I just I can't overstate it enough. You have to have a budget. You don't have to necessarily stick exactly to it. It can be dynamic. It can shift during drafts. But you have to have one. You have to know going in about what you want to spend on every player in every position. Yeah, and I that's great advice, and I couldn't agree more, actually. Creating a budget is one of the funnest things to do when when uh, when joining that that salary cap league it's it's one of my favorite things favorite parts of the league and if it's yours you should definitely be in salary cap leagues or as at least as many as jeff and i uh you know i i also have a lot of fun trying to figure out those those players expected salaries um that that's a that's that's a really neat step of the whole process trying to spend the the entire amount of allotted money that that's available in the cap throughout the league and as you do that, you start realizing that a player that that might be only a 2% player that you expect, there, there's too much money out there. Those players are going to suddenly be $3 play, or 3% players. Um, that, that's what regularly happens to me when I'm preparing for an auction. I seem to put those dollar amounts next to those players' names and then suddenly find out that there's still 10% of the money left at the end and immediately go to those high those high profile names to to spend that extra 10%. So um, putting that prep in will, will, won't give you the, 
give you the auction by any means, but it might get you a slight edge and really help build that budget that you were talking about. You know, the, the real key here is don't assign values to these guys based on what you think they should go for, but on what you think they will go for, which is a pretty important distinction. This isn't this isn't you ranking players and you assigning them a dollar amount that you would pay. It's how much, based on the league history, based on how much open cap space there is, based on team needs league-wide, how much do you think players are going to go for? If there's one top 15 running back in the auction you best have that dollar amount super duper high because you can guarantee there's going to be some sort of a bidding war. Uh, This is is a really important step in the whole process as well. I agree with you. Uh, It just gives you, even if your dollar amounts aren't exact, it still gives you a picture of the league and where it's where this auction is headed. This isn't about being exactly right on how much LaShawn McCoy is going to go for. It's about having a real good general idea on what's available and where the priority is going to be for the league and what position and in what tier within that position. And I, I think a good starting point for those trying to um, pinpoint ex- expected salaries for players would be... ADP and and probably not DLF ADP because that doesn't paint a very good picture or it'll paint a picture but not quite as good a picture of what to expect in a salary cap auction especially auctions or, or leagues that don't allow more than four or five year contracts I like to look at redraft ADP the guys over at four for four do a really good job of that that kind of stuff uh, those kind of rankings and and ADP gen- generally from a from any redraft source will help you put those dollar amounts next to players so so just a little tip that i use i i I try to find that adp and and make sure those dollar amounts that i'm placing next to players and the tiers that i i have in that free agent auction those dollar amounts reflect what that adp might suggest so let's talk about go ahead i was gonna say especially for older players especially for players that are pushing 30 it becomes you get way more of a redraft mentality with those players than than you do with younger guys i agree with you entirely i do the same thing absolutely so let's talk about targeting players the types of players we're targeting and i know it might fluctuate a little bit based on where your team is or or expects to be in the rankings of your league if if you're a contender or if you're uh in the middle of the pack or, or even rebuilding but generally jeff what are you trying to do when you when you're targeting players once that free agent auction starts uh what kind of players are you targeting or what's your general philosophy towards towards getting those players on your team I could spend three hours talking about this alone. This is such a fascinating aspect of all of this. It's the best part of an auction, really. Uh, the first thing I want to say is my first nomination is almost, it's, it's never a player that I love, and it's never a player that I hate. It's usually somebody that I like and would, wouldn't mind owning, but not somebody that if I don't own them, I'll be heartbroken. And the reason for that is, is I want to throw that guy out there. I want to test the waters. If, if the auction starts slow, which very often they do, where people aren't real aren't really excited about getting bids out, they kind of want to see how things shake down, then I have an opportunity to get a bargain on a guy that I wouldn't mind owning. Conversely, if bidding is insane out of the gate, which very often it is, this is a guy that I've put out there, he's, he's you know, he if I don't get him, if he goes to a different team because of the bidding is crazy, that's cool. I don't mind losing him. So my first nomination is almost always somebody that's going to garner pretty significant bidding. So maybe like a top 50 player, somebody that I like, but don't love. 
that's that's always my first. I would love to hear if you have some sort of a strategy on your first nomination uh, well, out of the gate right away. Yeah, my strategy is different depending on the on the league, of course, and and for me, it's all about that preparation. If you put the time in and made the list and and place those dollar amounts next to players, you should have a really good feel for how that auction should go, how you expect it to go. And if, if there are three or four names or maybe even only one name that really sticks out to you as a target, uh, I've, I've been known to be a, a extremely aggressive with that player with my first nomination. Uh, that happened in a league that we're in together this past, this, this off season, Jeff, I, I kind of targeted Allen Robinson. Uh, my biggest need on my roster was to try to get a wide receiver one. I thought he was the top name on the board for me, and I, I thought he was the most likely to be a bargain among those names that were available, especially if he came out right away. So I was the first play, owner to nominate. I nominated him, and I put a very what I thought was a very aggressive bid. I ended up winning him at $35 in a 250 cap. And, uh, th- that ended up being one of the bargains of the, of the auction I felt. So I, maybe my philosophy has changed a little bit, but I really do feel it came down to that preparation, me pinpointing one player that really I thought would look good on my roster and fill a big need that I needed and then trying to get him at a bargain, but not a crazy bargain. I was, I wasn't trying to get him for free or anything. I was trying to play market value and not, and, and I obviously thought he was worth more than what market value was. At the same time, the guy that you picked in this scenario wasn't an elite option at the position. I, I think there's definitely, that kind of falls in line at least somewhat with what I'm saying where I'm not nominating, um, I don't think there's value in nominating, keep going back to Odell Beckham, I don't think there's value in nominating him early in a draft because his value is his value. The odds that he's going to sell for considerably more or considerably less than what market value is coming into the draft or what your perception of market value is are pretty slim. You're better off doing a guy like Allen Robinson, somebody that's kind of a few tiers below the elite, you know, like a top 50 player, or in his case, like maybe a top 30 player. Um, I think those are better early nominations than, than the best of the best. You know, another thing I like to do early with maybe my second or third pick is I like to test the waters on a cheap player, on a $1 player or, or a lower-end player. You can very often sneak somebody through early. Maybe if you're in a league with defenses, you can sneak a defense through early. And I'm not talking about sneaking... Um, I guess I don't even... I haven't looked at defenses. I'm in so few leagues with them. I'm not talking about sneaking like an elite defensive option through for a buck that normally might sell for two or three because people are still going to bid on that. I'm talking about sneaking... Uh, maybe like the 10th best defense or if you have a list of like 15 one dollar players you expect to get drafted maybe like the third or fourth or fifth best one dollar player those are the guys to sneak through early because people aren't people aren't wanting to spend two bucks on that guy early in a draft whereas they might have extra cap space available at the end of the draft which is an everybody is nominating one dollar players i like to sneak a couple of those guys through early if i can yeah and the best part about that is if you've identified a player as a $1 player, you nominate him and and you get outbid, somebody overpaid according to what you think of the player. So I have no problem with that. In fact, I really like the strategy of, of nominating $1 players early and often in an auction because truly, if, if you're... Uh, if you feel a player is worth a dollar, the only way you're going to get him on your roster is to nominate him. And 
there, so there's nothing wrong with, with doing so. I like to do it as well. I've, uh, you know, going back to what you said about the first nomination and, and what I said about being aggressive, there's been auctions this year where I have nominated players that I absolutely don't want and expect that player to go for way more than what he should. And, and that's worked out many times in the past as well. So there are a lot of philosophies when it comes to nominating. I don't think there's necessarily an incorrect one, um, but but certainly most owners, uh, whether they're it, it's just in a dynasty startup or in a free agent auction like we're talking about here with salary cap, we, we all find our niches and, and find the things that we think work. And, uh, and those are a couple that do that, that work for us. So I, I want to talk to you a little bit about primary and secondary options. When, when you put that list together before the auction, before free agency started, you have the need for a quarterback one, or, or maybe a better example would be a wide receiver one on your roster. Obviously, when you see Keenan Allen's name and he's the top available free agent at the position, you're targeting that guy if, if you have the cap space and things like that. But perhaps there's there's a secondary option. Uh, Adam Thielen's also available, and maybe he'd fit in good for you as well. So so you like both players, and obviously th- see Thielen as the second option, um, just as ex- examples. But that second option comes up first. What's your general philosophy when it comes to that, Jeff? Uh, if that situation comes up, what are you doing? A bird in the hand is worth two in the bush, baby. If you've got a chance to get a guy at market value and it's somebody that that fits what you're trying to do, even if it's not your first choice, I think you just have to take it. And and sometimes it's going to bite you. Sometimes the guy that you really wanted is going to go for, for less than you thought. But at least as often, that guy's going to go for more. Because the way auctions work is every single time an option comes off the board that makes what's left that much more sought after for the guys that didn't win your auction. And you proved that very well with your Allen Robinson thing and top dollar. You got a bargain for him when you got him. And what it did was is it made the market that much tighter. It made the options that much fewer. And man, prices took off after that. That was a great call by you. And this is an example of how how that can happen. And it goes in that direction far more than it goes in the opposite direction, especially when we're talking about maybe a guy like Adam Thielen versus Keenan Allen. It gets a little bit sketchier when we're talking about mid-tier players, but with those guys, um, I mean, it's still it's still a real similar thing. I think you have to take what you can get. It's far less likely that in doing that, um, you're going to end up with a huge bargain later on in the draft. When we're talking about upper-tier guys, um, bird in the hand definitely worth two in the bush. I'm much more aggressive trying to get those guys early, um, especially in the leagues that I'm in. There's certainly situations where uh, where value might get created later, uh, but you have to kind of identify that beforehand and, and adjust on the fly, obviously, as well. As a rule, though, I, I'm going to be aggressive and, and I'll take that secondary option. Yeah, and, and sometimes if you haven't nominated yet that day or, or however your auction might work, if, if it's a live auction and it's one player at a time, obviously it's different. In a slow auction, though, you, you might have the opportunity, if you, if you still have the ability to nominate, to put Keenan Allen on the block and, and put them up together so you can weigh them side by side. 
Um, that creates other issues, of course, as well. But at least you have that option. Um, I, I know that when I'm, uh, I, I have the same philosophy as you. When 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 I see that that name that intrigues me, somebody that I want on my team, even if there's somebody out there that's better or, or that I'd much rather have, I'm going to be aggressive with the player and just try to fill the need. It is a horrible feeling to wait on a player and then the the guy you're targeting comes on the board and you realize that everybody else with a need at wide receiver did the exact same thing other than the guy who got Thielen and suddenly you're you're in a bidding war that you really don't want to be in and all of a sudden Thielen is the the best bargain of the, of the auction. This, um, this this is where your pre-draft prep comes in and you have that list knowing how many people need high-end wide receivers so you know what the need is versus what's available and, and it will allow you it'll allow you to make to kind of make those moves. And this not to jump ahead too far here. I know we're going to talk about this in a second. This is also an opportunity to be real aggressive with how you bid. Again, like you did with Allen Robinson, where you come out on a guy like Thielen and you make a very aggressive bid and you maybe scare people off of him and they start turning their attention elsewhere. If you Early in the draft is a really good time to do that because people look and say, oh, well, we have all these other options. So we don't need to, we don't need to try to compete with this really aggressive bid that you made. That's the time to do that. And a player like Thielen or a player like Allen Robinson are the players to do that on. Yeah, uh, third and fourth tier players are, are great targets early in a nominating pr- uh, process. I, I, it's, it's been a strategy of mine for a long time to, to chase the guy that's fourth or fifth on the list at a position early because the, those other names are so intriguing. When you have Julio Jones and Devontae Adams and Keelan, Keenan Allen all available and not on the auction board just yet, and, and you put that lower tier name, Thielen's an ex- excellent example. Uh, there are so many fellow owners that look at the list and say, man, I'm going to have a lot of chances to get an even better player. I targeted 12% and I know he's only at 10%, but I'd much rather have Keenan Allen at 12. Uh, if everybody else in the room is doing that, you ended up with a, with a great bargain. Let's talk a little bit about future trade options. This is a intriguing situation that you might find yourself in, in a salary cap league. I, I, I found myself thinking about this a little bit more. We've, we've talked about price enforcing and things like this. This is a form of it. Uh, I've seen owners relatively regularly lately, Jeff, buying a player or bidding on a player with the intent of selling that player, whether that be to the a, a, a fellow owner that was bidding on him or anybody else. Uh, is this a strategy that you've taken on at any point throughout your salary cap experience? Don't like it for two reasons. First of all, it helps remove flexibility. We talk so much about flexibility in past podcasts. If you're if you're drafting somebody that you wouldn't normally draft or paying somebody something you wouldn't normally pay them or whatever, I mean, this is clearly a situation where you're stepping outside of your original plan to pick up somebody with the intent of trading them. You've now removed flexibility. You've put yourself in a position where you've dedicated cap space to a player that you now have to trade for your plan to work. You've forced yourself into something that you weren't planning on doing. And that just, it's, I don't like being forced in a corner. I like having options. Now, if this is a player that you wouldn't mind having at that price and that position and everything, but you would prefer to trade him, that's a different story. 
But if we're talking strictly about signing somebody or winning somebody in a free agent auction to trade, I don't like being painted in that corner. The other problem I have with it is, why is it that you got a deal on this guy? You know, it, it, maybe the rest of the league doesn't like him as much as you do. So when you look at ADP and Dynasty, there are certain players that their ADP is very inflated. And then when you go and try to trade him, you have a hell of a time trading him. Well, the reason for that is, is if you have a if you have a draft, you only need one person in that whole league of 12 people to fall in love with a player to inflate their ADP. So if you're only talking about 1 in 12, well, what happens if that one guy's not in your league? What happens if you're winning somebody in an auction under the assumption that he's being undervalued, but you don't like the player, you're just getting him to trade? Well, what happens if the one guy that likes him isn't in your league? Or even if that one guy isn't in your league, what happens if that player doesn't fit his plan? What happens if he doesn't have cap space or if the trade isn't a good fit? Now all of a sudden you have somebody that you don't want that doesn't fit your plan, that you can't get fair market value for, whatever the perception of, of fair market value is for that player. I just, I don't, I don't like it. I don't, I don't like doing that in regular leagues. Guys that in two quarterback leagues in a regular dynasty in a startup draft 12 quarterbacks to try to corner the market and then they're forced to trade them. Man, that's, that's not a good strategy. It's not a winning strategy. I don't like it here any more than I like it there. Yeah, I've never employed it either, and I, I can't really wrap my head around it. I've never found the the big appeal to it. I, I see it happening in leagues, and like I said, I've been thinking about it a lot, and I just can't can't get on board with it. Couldn't couldn't agree more with what you're saying there. I think there's a big difference between strictly bidding on a player with the intent of trading him. And perhaps being backed into a corner, the last guy left in a tier, and you may not be in love with the player, but you buy him and and have that in your in your holster as, as a potential weapon that you can use. Maybe I can trade him. If not, at least I got a guy that fills the need that I need. I need that white that running back too. Alex Collins is on the board. He fits into my budget. I guess I'll just add him and hopefully it works out. Uh, especially when it's a one-year contract and, and you're not you're t- not tied down with, with a player you don't love for the long term. I think that's okay. And having having the option of trading that guy is, is always something you should be thinking about. You just shouldn't be relying on. Yeah, th- and that's what I'm saying. Like, if, if you're signing a guy that you don't mind keeping if you can't trade him, then whatever, that's fine. The idea of doing it strictly to trade is, is bad juju. So let's let's get into these bidding strategies, and we've touched on a, a little bit, Jeff. I'm an aggressive bidder. I know you are too, mostly. When when's the right time to be aggressive? When's the right time to sit back and wait, especially at the onset of these auctions? Definitely aggressive early, especially on the types of players we're talking about. No real reason to be aggressive on elite guys. There's not a whole lot to be gained there. Those guys go for what they go for. Um, not necessarily a great reason to be aggressive i think on positions where where the auction is real thin at that spot those guys are are kind of going to go what they're going to go for anyway i think being aggressive in situations like with Thielen when you have a whole bunch of other players still to come i think that's a great spot to be aggressive i think it's great to be aggressive on on players that are kind of lower end that you really like to be productive uh it seems like i say this every year and i know we have been of a similar mind pierre garçon is a great example this is a player to bid aggressively on to come out aggressive this is a guy that has a very short window uh to see lots of volume he's not a guy that's going to win you your league but he's a plug and play sort of an option be aggressive if you think he's worth seven bucks open the bidding at seven bucks 
or open the bidding at eight bucks. Give an extra dollar to ensure you have him to help fill out the back end of your roster. Guys that guys that fit that that sort of a mold. Um, I was gonna say Larry Fitzgerald, but he's still too elite of an option. But think of like whatever half of Larry Fitzgerald is, or Pierre Garcon. Like that kind of a player is a great player to be aggressive on. Be aggressive with two dollar players. Don't try to open a two dollar player for one dollar because there's only one bid left and it's two bucks. If you think he's worth two bucks, open him for two dollars. Another situation to be aggressive is if you're getting down towards the end of the auction on a player, bidding is slowing, and you really want that guy. Instead of bumping it by a buck, bump it by $4. Even if it means you're overpaying by a dollar, it will keep you from overpaying by 5 or 8 or $12 because it's a lot easier for somebody to keep being, oh, it's only another dollar, it's only another dollar. Make them think, oh my God, it's another $7. I love that strategy, especially in live auctions. When you are sitting in a room or even at a, TV screen or a computer screen and looking at the bids going by $1 and $1. It goes from 11 to 12 to 13 and then suddenly somebody puts 17 That gets people's attention and suddenly you have to make a decision really quick. In a live draft or a live auction, that's especially... Uh, it works more, more often than not to, to be overly aggressive or, or what some would call overly aggressive, I like to call successful. So there, <laughs> there are also times to sit back and wait, Jeff. I, I think you mentioned it really well there with those elite players. I, you know, I can get on board with going get, and getting elite players in super flex leagues. I love to have Aaron Rodgers on my team. In any league, I love to have Antonio Brown or Odell Beckham Jr. or DeAndre Hopkins. I also love having Gurley. But there are times to sit back and allow other owners to do that. You and I both have have talked uh, ad nauseum about keeping flexibility. One way to, to, to keep that flexibility is to not pay elite prices for elite players because uh, the only thing they can do is keep their value they they can't they can't gain value typically i'm much more likely to trade for an elite player than i am to sign them in a free agent auction in salary cap leagues and i know that might sound weird because you're giving up assets to get that player but you don't have to give up as much usually in a salary cap league to get an elite player as you would in a regular league because they have contract links. You can go get that elite player that has one year left on a team that's not using them. I would way rather wait until my team is ready and and make that trade than try than, than try to, to mess with it in an auction. Again, you have all the information in front of you. You know your team is ready to, to contend. Now's the time to pounce and go get Todd Gurley and try to make that run for a title. You know it for sure. Uh, and you know exactly where Todd Gurley is in his career when when you're trying to get the Todd Gurley that can help you, not not the injured Todd Gurley or, or the guy that's on the decline or whatever may be happening. I did I did it in Dead Presidents earlier this week with uh, I gave up uh, Alshon Jeffrey in a first to get Julio Jones. I, I, just, I waited till after the auction. I had all the information. It's like I want an elite guy. I want to make a run, and that's when I did it. Yes, perfect segue to our our next topic, Jeff. Post free agent auction trade. So the free agent auction is in the books. You weren't able to get a Julio Jones type player to fill that wide receiver one slot 
on your roster that that you thought you needed. You needed an upgrade over Alshon Jeffrey. You pulled that off with one of these trades that came after our auction. Typically, these are more difficult to do because all the teams are a little bit against the cap. Um, Most of the teams filled those needs that they really wanted. I know there are some opportunities to make these deals happen because there are so many teams that that didn't fill those needs that they had or, or came close but think they need a little bit of an upgrade. Talk to me a little bit about your philosophy when it comes to these kind of trades and what made that Julio for Alshon trade work for you. I had that trade... I wouldn't say in place before the draft, but I had discussions about that trade before the free auction draft. I knew that something like that might be an option. And that's certainly something that you can do, especially if you can identify a team that uh, that might not be going for it this year, regardless of how the free agent auction shakes down for them. I got a little bit lucky that this owner also has LaShawn McCoy, and he was on the fence about competing anyway. So it made it a little bit easier. But if you can identify situations before the draft that might work and have preliminary discussions, say, hey, is this something you might be interested in depending on how the free agent auction goes? You know that you have you know that you have that option, you know, potentially. You know, really for me, this is because the auction doesn't go how owners expect it to for all twelve owners, there's always a couple of guys that leave that auction disappointed. And if you can identify those guys, those are the ones you want to target if you're competing. Conversely, if you're the guy that the auction didn't go real well for, don't be afraid to be aggressive and start the rebuild before October, like I talked about earlier. Don't be afraid to start it right away and and do what Adam did in this situation and make that trade. He picked up a first-round pick, saved $3 in salary this year, $3 in salary next year in a $100 cap league. It's a nice trade for him. It worked well for both of us. Yeah, that's a big percentage. That 3%, and and we've talked about that throughout the episode, uh, being savvy and getting out ahead of those things, you can give yourself the opportunity to have more cap space, still have a good player in Alshon Jeffrey. Those deals can work out for both sides for sure. That's the brilliance of salary cap. Uh, Even more than strict dynasty, there, there are owners at every step of the building process in a salary cap league. Uh, there are so many levels to it because of the salary and the contract length and, and the player's uh, value um, that that can inf- change the value of a trade and, and make things work for so many different owners. You know, I, I think a big part of getting these deals done, and it I guess it applies to the pre- auction trades as well but not quite as much is is to be as creative as possible there's always rules and again this goes back to knowing your rules and and knowing the ins and outs of your league um getting creative covering parts of salaries or or covering future cap space trading cap space in in a trade as well that that all makes it a little bit easier to to get by those those tougher parts of making trades once everybody is against the cap. Um, using your trade as, as an example, if both of you were right at the cap, uh, full full 100%, and there was a $3 difference in the players, just simply covering the $3 difference or, or trading $3 of cap space can make those kinds of deals work. I've seen many of those trades fall apart because the cap numbers didn't work out, and most of us of the salary cap leagues that all, in fact, all of the salary cap leagues that I play in allow for at least trading cap space. So, so keep your mind open to those types of things. Um, you know, we we talked a little bit about um, 
trading players that you got in the free agent auction. And we talked about how we don't necessarily like to have that in mind. I do want to mention here that just because you just got a player and he's your new shiny toy, don't put him on the do not trade list. There, there are 11 other owners that didn't get the chance to add him to the roster. And a lot of times you can capitalize on those guys feeling like they missed out on that player. Um, I've, I've regularly traded players that I just got in an auction and, and felt like I came out winning in the deal. Uh, so, so keep your mind open to that as well. Any other notes on, on post-free agent auction trades for you, Jeff? Beautiful segue by saying notes. Our good friend Leo Pasiga would say, always make a note of who lost the auction for a player. If you, if you write down your player's name, Alan Robinson, and then write Jeff next to it, because I was the guy that was bidding you up on Alan Robinson to the very end, that's the guy that you might want to trade Alan Robinson to. Those are the guys that you want to approach. It's, it's an easy thing to do. I do it right in my Google Drive doc that I have for every single auction. Every single auction I win... I, I, I put the player on my roster and in the column right next to it, I write the guy's name who I beat for that player. It doesn't, it doesn't always matter. It doesn't always work out. But if you're looking to make a trade, that's the first person to approach. Yeah, great advice. Uh, Leo's the guy when it comes to that. I've, I've taken on the same philosophy as well. I, I, I scribbled on the guy's name. And it's helped me a couple of times. Uh, sometimes not till a year or two later because you always go back through those notes. It's kind of like the diary of the league. And you see something that catches your eye, start a trade negotiation, and suddenly suddenly you got a deal. So uh, good stuff for sure. So we covered a lot of the off-season transactions that salary cap owners will will or already maybe have this year made. I think what we're talking about here should transcend to next year and beyond that as well. Retaining players, uh, we talked about those pre and post free agent auction trades. And then of course that free agent auction, the preparation and all the strategies that go into that. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the DLF Dynasty podcast. It's our fourth, as I mentioned earlier in our series of salary cap coverage. Again, if you want to go back and check out previous episodes of salary cap coverage here on the pod, you can check out number 201. That was general salary cap strategy. Uh, salary or Episode number 243 was salary cap startup strategy and then episode number 261 that was rookie draft and in-season salary cap management this is episode 316 and we covered off-season salary cap uh off-season salary cap uh decision making um jeff i appreciate you coming on this episode of the pod tell us a little bit about where we can find out what you're up to lately I've done a bunch of stuff for DLF this summer, and I have a couple other things, I think, on the schedule. I should probably look at that. They're probably late by now. Uh, So you can find me all over on DLF. I am also now just starting to do some stuff for 4 for 4 this season. I'm going to be doing uh, in-season player blurbs. Um, I think I'm doing Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, if memory serves, uh, during the season. And uh, by the time this podcast hits the airwaves, if you go to uh, 444 social media platforms, it'll be me that you're hearing from. I'm taking over 444 social media, so be sure to follow at 444football on the Twitter machine, and then we'll get you the information on the other stuff. And if you really like my salary cap stylings, aft, at Draft Consult Inc., you can uh, hire me to help you with your salary cap league. I've actually already got a couple of clients this season that I've helped with leagues. And uh, 
it's really fun and I'm very generous with my time and my advice. So if you want uh, some more one-on-one time, track me down there. Oh, I have a feeling 4 for 4 is... Uh, social media profile is going to get a little bit more aggressive, Jeff. No, no shower selfies on the four for four. If you're, if you like shower selfies, uh, waist up only, of course, uh, you know, cause I, I have a kid. If you like, if you like shower selfies or, or, or just bathroom selfies in general, about 90% of my selfies occur in the bathroom. Then uh, at FF Jeff M is where you want to be for that. And also, not, Luke, also lukewarm fantasy takes. If, if, if you're not following <laughs> Jeff already, you should be. Thanks for spending an hour with me, Jeff. To our listeners, thank you for spending an hour with us as well. We'll be back next week with another episode of the DLF Dynasty Podcast. We'll catch you later.